الله من الشيطان الرجيم بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم الحديث الثاني والعشرون عن أبي عبد الله جابر بن عبد الله الأنصاري رضي الله عنه أن رجلا سأل رسول الله صلى الله عليه وسلم فقال أرأيت إذا صليت المكتوبات وسمت رمضان وأحللت الحلال وحرمت الحرام ولم أزد على ذلك شيئا أدخل الجنة قال نعم رواه مسلم ومعنى حرمت الحرام اجتنبته ومعنى أحللت الحلال فعلته مؤتجدا هله بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم الحمد لله رب العالمين والصلاة والسلام على رسول الله وعلى آله وصحبه وبعد The hadith is narrated by Jabir ibn Abdullah al-Ansari radiyallahu anhu He says a man came to the messenger sallallahu alayhi wa sallam to ask him He said Ara'ayta When this phrase Ara'ayta is used either in the Quran or the hadith it simply means tell me Ara'ayta although it sounds like have you seen the actual meaning is tell me you remember yesterday in tafsir I explained Alam Tara Alam Tara obviously means didn't you see but the actual meaning when it at such a month so in this case Ara'ayta Ya Rasulallah, tell me, explain to me what will happen if Salaitul Maktubat, I pray the Salah which Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has written. Inna salata kanat ala al-mu'minina kitabam mawquta. Salah is written for us, but not every Salah is Maktuba. There are certain Salawats which are compulsory and maktuba and this man is asking about al-maktubat he's not asking about any other salah al-maktubat starts with fajr two rak'ats only that is maktuba the nafila of fajr the two rak'ats before the maktuba is not maktuba itself so this man means Salatul Fajr, I pray only two rakats, nothing more, because it's two rakats, which is maktuba. Salatul Dhuhr, I pray four rakats, that's the maktuba. Everything else is nawafi. Salatul Asr for me is only four rakats, because that is maktuba. Salatul Maghrib for me is only three rakats, because that's maktuba. And Salatul Isha is only four rakats. So Ara'ayta, you tell me, Ya Rasulullah, in Salaitul Maktubat, if I pray this Fajr, two rakats. Dhuhr, four rakats. Asr, four. Maghrib, three. And Isha, four. Wasumtu Ramadana. And when it comes to fasting, I fast only Ramadan. I don't know anything else apart from Ramadan. 
From the beginning of Ramadan to the end of Ramadan, I do not miss a single day. But after Ramadan, I don't fast Monday, I don't fast Thursday, I don't fast the Ayyam al Bayda. I know only Ramadan. And the things which Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala said are halal, I regard them as halal. And the things which Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala made haram, I regard them as haram. There is an explanation which Imam al-Nawawi, the author of the Arba'in al-Nawawiya, gives in his book as a footnote. He says, أَحْلَلْتُ الْحَلَالَ أَيْ فَعَلْتُهُ مُعْتَقِدًا حِلَّهُ وَحَرَّمْتُ الْحَرَامَ أَيْ إِجْتَنَبْتُهُ أَحْلَلْتُ الْحَلَالَ means to do things which are halal, believing that they are halal. And haramtul harama, staying away from the things which are haram. But Annawawi did not add mu'taqidan hurmatahu, believing that they are haram. And many scholars have said Imam Annawawi should have added this phrase because it's very, very important. I stayed away from haram because I believed that it is haram. It's not enough to simply stay away from, uh, I mean, from haram. You avoid haram believing it's haram. Not staying away from haram for any other reason. For example, a person may stay away from beer for health reasons. Maybe the doctor told him, if you drink beer with your uh, diabetes, it's going to harm you. Therefore, he stops drinking beer. But this is not ibadah. It's about his health. Or a person does not make zina because he's afraid of HIV. Or he's afraid of AIDS or other diseases. This is not ibadah. A Muslim lives haram because he believes Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has made it haram, not because he's running away from something that is involved in that particular action. Some people may not make zina, but very few people stay away from zina for the sake of Allah. The majority have stayed away from zina for many different reasons. Some simply have no money. They, they simply can't afford. So they didn't do it. Others are afraid of AIDS. Some are simply afraid of uh, maybe what people might say. Not really because Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala made it haram. And I want to state categorically that if a person believes something which is haram to be halal and yet he does not touch it, 
He doesn't do it himself. It's haram, he doesn't do it. But he believes it's okay to do it. He becomes a kafir. Even if he doesn't do it. For example, a person who doesn't eat pork says, I, I don't eat pork. But if you ask him, is it okay to eat pork? He says, well, I think it's all right for those who want to eat. He becomes a kafir. But he didn't eat pork. He didn't eat pork, but he believed that something which Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala made haram is halal. Yet a person who believes pork is haram and he eats pork will not become a kafir. He's an athim, he's a transgressor. Do you see the difference? If I believe pork, akramakumullah, is haram, we should not eat. But because of my weakness of mind or something, I, I eat. Do I become a kafir? What do I become? An athim. I transgress. I disobey Allah. But if I don't eat pork, I refuse to eat. But I believe it's not haram. What do I become? So it's possible for a person who is not doing haram, but believes that the haram is halal to be a kafir, and a person who is involved in haram, but believes the haram is haram to still be a Muslim. So that's why the scholars said, Imam al-Nawawi should have added, وَحَرَّمْتُ الْحَرَامَ مُعْتَقِدًا حُرْمَتَهُ I stayed away, ijtanabtuhu, I stayed away from the haram because I believed that the haram is haram. Not staying away from the haram simply because I'm not interested or I don't like it or I don't have the money or I can't afford it. You stay away from haram because you know it's haram and Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has forbidden it. So this man says, Ara'ait, you tell me in Salaitul Maktubat. I pray the five salahs, وَصُمْتُ Ramadana, and I fast the month of Ramadan, وَأَحْلَلْتُ الْحَلَالَ, and I make halal halal, وَحَرَّمْتُ الْحَرَامَ, and I make haram haram, أَدْخُلُ الْجَنَّةِ وَلَمْ أَزِدْ عَلَى ذَلِكَ I don't, I don't increase anything on that. For me, haram is haram. Halal is halal. Salah is salah. Ramadan is Ramadan. I don't do anything more than that. Will I enter paradise? And Rasulullah said to him, Naam, yes, you will enter paradise. But then, he will enter paradise without, without giving zakat and without going for hajj. He didn't mention zakat here. And he doesn't mention Hajj. So he just prays five times a day. And he fasts during the month of Ramadan. And halal is halal and haram is haram. He doesn't do anything more than that. He didn't give zakat and he didn't go for Hajj. Adkhulul Jannah. Will I enter paradise? Rasulullah says, Naam. Yes, you will enter paradise. How do you explain that? What about zakat? Sheikh Hassan. So people can go to Jannah even if they don't give zakat. Sorry? 
Okay, now. That's, that's the most likely situation because Rasulullah is talking to a man that he knows. From what he knows of the man, maybe Rasulullah knows he's not one of those that would pay zakat. And the man is phrasing the question this way, I. He's talking about himself and Rasulullah knows about his situation. So he skips zakat and Rasulullah knows this man is not one of those that must pay zakat. But for a person who qualifies for zakat, that would not be enough. Praying five times a day and fasting Ramadan and uh, 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 keeping haram haram and halal halal and skipping zakat would not be enough to take him to Jannah. Because Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala always mentions zakat with salah. وَأَقِيمُ الصَّلَاةَ وَأَعْتُ zakat. And Abu Bakr Siddiq radiallahu anhu fought those who refused to give the, the zakat. And for the hajj, there are two explanations, most likely explanations. Firstly, it could be the same first situation. Maybe he's one of those that cannot afford to go for hajj. The second most plausible situation is that this question was asked before hajj became compulsory. Because Hajj became compulsory quite late, I think in the ninth year of the, of the Hijrah. So this man could have asked the question to the Messenger وسلم, before Hajj became compulsory. <coughs> There's something important that we need to um, learn from the Hadith. What is this man concerned about? He's concerned about Jannah. He talks about salah, he talks about fasting, he talks about halal, he talks about haram. But what's his major concern? Jannah. Adkhulul Jannah. Because he understands we do all this not for anything else but for Jannah. The reason an Arabi that came to the Messenger sallallahu alayhi wasallam and said, Ya Rasulullah, ana la uhsinu daydanaka. I, I'm not good at your daidan. You know daidan in, in Arabic? Fancy words. The fancy words with the, which the Messenger وسلم, would use to, to ask Allah. You know the, the beautiful language used by the Messenger وسلم, He said, Ana la I, I don't know that kind of language when I ask Allah. Rasulullah said, If you don't know, then what do you ask him? How do you ask him? He said, For me, all I know is, Allahumma inni as'aluka al-jannata wa'udhu bika minan nar. Allah, I'm asking you jannah and I'm asking you to protect me from the fire. For me, that's all I know. All this fancy stuff, ya Allah, whatever, I, I don't know that. Rasulullah said to him, And our dandana is also just about that. It's nothing else. All the fancy speech, the nice words, everything we say is just about that. At the end of the day for us, it's about Jannah and Jahannam. That's all we talk about. So if you say, Allahumma inni as'aluka al-Jannah, or Allah, I ask you paradise, or a'udhu wika min al-Nar, and I seek your protection from the fire, that's all we pray for. We may use different words, fancy speech, but hawlana nudandinu. All our speech is just, just around that. 
So our salah and our ibadat are about Jannah and Jahannam. Why am I saying this? I'm saying this because there is a group of Sufia and you know what the biggest problem is. The problem is that in Islam, we, we all pray in the, in the same masjid and we do basically the same things. So it's difficult to recognize who's, who's Sufi and who's not Sufi, who's Ahlu Sunnah, who's not Ahlu Sunnah. With the Christians, it's a different situation. Those with different opinions have a church of their own. All right. If you have different opinions, you have your own church, United Church of Zambia, Catholic Church, whatever. Those with the same opinion go to the same church. But in Islam, we basically found in the same, in the same masjid with different i'tiqadat, certain things that people believe, and you believe he's a fellow Muslim, but there's certain i'tiqadat, certain things they believe in which are different from what you believe in. And when he talks to you, you think he's talking about the same Islam that you know when his Islam is different from your Islam. You know that's, that's more dangerous? When a Catholic meets uh, Seventh Day, he knows there's, there's a difference between them and whatever he says is not going to listen to him. These are a different sect and we are a different sect altogether. But when you're together in the masjid and this, this man, you say takbir together and so on, you think we're all Muslims. Sometimes he's going to give you advice and you think this is Islamic advice when actually it is Sufi advice. Because if I asked you today, Sheikh Hassan, if I said in this masjid where we pray, all of us every day point some Sufis in this masjid, it would be difficult for you. But does that mean there are no Sufis in this masjid? There are many. We, uh, you don't know. Papa <laughs> uh, is very happy to hear that there's Sufis in this masjid. They're in every masjid, not, not just this masjid. They're found in every, in every masjid. If, uh, if you've read a lot or heard a lot about Sufism, you'll recognize some signs and you'll know this. And some Sufis don't know they're Sufis. That's, that's where the problem is. Even some Sufis themselves do not know that their i'tiqad is i'tiqad is Sufiya. They, they, they don't know that. So there's a group of Sufis that claim we should not worship Allah because, of, because we want Jannah. And we should not worship him because we are afraid of the fire. We should just worship him because we love him. So if such a man came to you and said, my brother... Don't just worship Allah for Jannah or worship Allah because you're afraid of Jahannam. Worship Allah for love, to love Allah. Because he's a fellow Muslim, you think, yeah, what, what he's saying is, is the truth. But the truth is, that's not how we worship Allah. We worship Allah because we want Jannah. And we worship Allah because we are afraid of the fire. And we worship Allah because we love him. Ibrahim alayhi salatu wasalam says, And make me among the inheritors of paradise. What's, what's Ibrahim praying for? He's praying for Jannah. All the anbiya of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala wanted Jannah. You want Jannah, I want Jannah, everyone wants Jannah. We can't pretend we're simply worshipping because we, we, we love Allah and Jannah is not important and Jahannam is not important because of that i'tiqad. 
that kind of belief, they look upon Jahannam as nothing, and they look at Jannah as nothing. They mock Jannah, they mock Jahannam, because Jahannam and Jannah do not play a major role in their i'tiqad, in their belief. Some of their sheikhs will say, don't worry about Jahannam. On the day of judgment, I'll just spit into Jahannam. And this is true speech, found in their books. On the day of, of judgment, I'll spit into Jahannam, and it's just going to become like a green valley. Why? Because Jahannam to him is not, not important. Jannah, he thinks Jannah is cheap. Like I keep saying, he can even write tickets for people to go to Jannah. Because for him, Jannah is something to play with and Jahannam is something to play with. It's not a part of their i'tiqad. But this hadith clearly shows. The hadith indicates that even the Sahaba of Rasulullah did everything they did for Jannah. That's why he comes and asks and says, if I do this and do this and do this, Will I enter paradise? So what's his uh, uh, himma? His himma is just, just Jannah. Is this enough for me to go to paradise? And Rasulullah says yes. Yes, under which? Which rutbah? Which category? Under the second category. If you remember, we recited the ayat in which Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, uh, Allah has divided us into three groups. The Muslims, the Mu'mineen. Allah divided us into three groups. The person who harms himself. Al-Muqtasid, the person who does only what Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has asked him to do. No more. And As-Sabiq bil Khayrat, the person who does more than Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has asked him to, to do. Al-Zalimu li nafsihi, so long as he doesn't become a kafir. The one who harms himself. When a person misses salah, what does he do? He harms himself. He cannot harm Allah. He harms himself. When a person steals, what does he do? He harms himself. When he eats haram, he harms himself. So long as he doesn't become a kafir, he will go to Jannah. But after punishment. So long as he's a Muslim, he remains a Muslim, he does not do something which makes him a non-believer, a kafir, he will go to Jannah, but only after what? After the punishment. Al-Muqtasid. The second stage, this man, the one who's asking, if he does everything and he does it correctly, will he go to, to the fire? No, he won't. For, for what reason? For what reason? Halal to him was halal. Haram was haram. He prayed five times a day. He fasted during the month of Ramadan. He did everything Allah asked him to do. He didn't do any more, but he's brought the necessary. He has the pass mark. He should not go to Jahannam. He's supposed to go to Jannah. But the only problem is, as they say in, in English, if you take care of the pennies, the pounds will take care of themselves. If you have money, for example, uh, 10,527 kwacha. 10,527 kwacha. Obviously, 
the seven kwacha is loose, huh? This is 10,527 kwacha. What do you think is that? It's seven kwachas, seven kwacha is nothing. Uh, I want the round figure, huh? 10,520, all right. You spend the seven kwacha anyhow. It should be, ah, it's no sweet, it's okay, it's the seven kwacha. So the next time you want to spend, which one are you going to spend now? It's the 20, the 20 now becomes loose, right? Ah, just 20. It will remain 10,500. All right? 20. Ah, it's loose, loose money. What's remaining now? 10,500. The next time you want to spend, what do you do? We now, the 500 becomes loose. Huh? The 500 is now loose change so that I remain with a solid 10,000. So the 500, oh, we can use it for things. Now what is remaining? Solid 10,000. Obviously, you need to spend again. So what is next? Uh, 10,000, we remove 100 kwacha. Ah, this 1,000 is already, already gone. Let me just keep the solid uh, uh, 9,000. This 1,000, I can use it. And that's how your money is going to finish, right? Because in the first place, you did not take care of the seven kwacha. If you didn't spend the seven kwacha uselessly, I mean carelessly, the 10,500 would have been saved. But because the seven and the 20 are gone, the 10,500 remains exposed. The same happens to us. The nafila, after the other Now, um, have you ever heard of situations where someone was given, entrusted maybe with, with some money for an organization or money for a particular project, maybe uh, 150,000, and he hammered all the money. Have, have you ever heard of that situation? Yes, it, it does happen. You think he got the money and then said, let me go shopping and, and hammer all this money? You think that's what happened? Is that the way he did it? If someone, I mean, devours, uh, 100,000 or 150,000 that doesn't belong to him, that belongs to a community or something. You think he got up one day and decided, I'm going to spend this money, let me buy a car. You think that's what he did? How did he do it? He started with the loose ones, right? It was 156,000. Then he thought, ah, it was 6,000. Uh, later, we can, we can replace it later. It's just the 6,000, and then there's another problem, uh, 2,000, and then eventually, until, uh, in most cases, you don't even check what's, what's happening there. The next time you open, then it looks strangely little. You go through it, it was 156. The next time you count, you find it's uh, 72,000. Thinking, ah, what happened? Anyway, this 2,000 is already uh, loose money. Let me leave a solid 70,000. Our solar is, is like that. The, the moment you start neglecting, you think, ah, this is just nafila. I can, I can leave this, this nafila. And uh, uh, fasting, oh, this, this is nafila. We can always fast Ramadan. Eventually, from the miss, I mean, missing the nawafila, eventually you start attacking the solid salawat, which are maktubat on you. A person who prays nafila every time will not miss wajib. Believe me. A person who prays nafila every single day after dhuhr, nafila, 
before Asr, nafila. Salatul Fajr, nafila. And he fasts. You think a man who fasts on Monday and Thursday would miss Ramadan? Do you think that is possible? A man who fasts on Monday and fasts on Thursday, you think it's possible for him to miss a day in Ramadan? Is that logical? Unless he's very, very sick. And a man who wakes up for tahajjud, he wakes up at 3 o'clock. You think such a man would miss Dhuhr? He wakes up to pray nafila, tahajjud in the night, and then walk to Dhuhr. He's seated, let's pray. He doesn't want to pray. Have you ever seen anything like that? So the nawafil keep you on track. They keep the fariwa for you. It's like money. Don't think the smaller notes, the coins don't matter. The moment you start throwing away the coins, very soon you're going to attack the solid money and all of it will be gone. The moment you neglect the nawafil, these are sahaba of the messengers of Allah, what they are is not what we are. You, you get my point? For the sahaba, maybe it's, it's possible for them to pray all the salawats and, and everything without the nawafil, but in our current situation, to keep the salawat, just duhr, four rakats, asr, four rakats, maghrib, three rakats, and everything the way it is supposed to do, I mean, to be done, and uh, uh, not increase anything on that and remain on track, I think that, that is very, very difficult. It's difficult for anyone to do that. So to be on the safe side, you need to do more than Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has asked you to do. It's like a man who's studying for an exam, and he asks... Uh, what's the pass mark? So pass mark is 320 marks. And then he starts thinking, okay, 320. This subject, I need only exactly uh, uh, 60. And in this subject, I need just uh, 50. You think he's going to pass? He can't pass. He has to aim higher. If the pass mark is 320, aim for 400, 450. Then you find yourself closer to, to the pass mark. If, if you want to fly, you want to fly to heaven. Or you want to, let me say, you want to climb the rooftop. You have to aim higher. Your intention should be, I'm going to heaven. Alright? You say, today I'm going to heaven. So in failing to go to heaven, maybe you might end up on the, uh, 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 on the rooftop of the, of the masjid. Because the intention was a higher intention. True or false? But if your aim is today, I'm going to climb the rooftop of the masjid, usually you won't make it. you end up just there at the, at the window. So when you aim higher, you at least reach the lower cause. When you start, don't say for me, I just want, I just want to learn. When I know this for me, alhamdulillah, then you won't learn them. Say, for me, I want to be hafidul Qur'an. I want to memorize the entire Quran. And in trying that, at least you end somewhere. Maybe you end up memorizing Surah Al-Baqarah and Surah Al-Imran in trying to memorize the, the entire uh, uh, Quran. I don't know if you all remember, there was a time we, we sat here when we just started, a very, very long time ago, when Alif, most of the papas were starting Alif, Bata, and so on. So uh, someone here, uh, maybe he does remember himself, said, for me, if I just learn how to read, the Qaeda, and I can also recite some surahs in Juz Amma, in, enough to lead Salah for me, that, that will be enough. Then someone else said, for me, no, that won't be enough. For me, I'm going to continue 
uh, and that papa was like in his 50s, maybe 60s. He said, I'm going to continue until I become half in the Quran, and everyone laughed at him. He didn't become half in the Quran, but, but he hit some higher, you know, uh, uh, heights, close, close to that. At least he can read Quran. So your aim has to be much higher. So don't think, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala asked us to pray five times a day, mine is five times a day, and that's the pass mark for Jannah, and I'm going to make it. You have to aim much higher than that in order for you to, to attain uh, uh, Jannah. Allahumma inna nas'alka al-jannata wa ma qarraba ilayha min qawlin wa amal, wa na'udhu bika min al-nari wa ma qarraba ilayha min qawlin wa amal. We'll accept a question or two, inshallah.